All right, hello everyone. Welcome back to Declaring Liberty. Today is December 18th. It is impeachment day. If what we expect to happen actually happens, then at some point before the end of the day, Donald J. Trump will be the third president in American history to have been impeached by the House of Representatives. And then thereafter, probably sometime in January, he will then almost certainly become the third president in American history to be acquitted in a Senate trial. Whatever shape or form that Senate trial takes, I doubt it will actually look anything whatsoever like a trial. But uh, whatever, we'll just have to wait and see. Let me take a minute here to just tell you where we're going with this episode today. I mentioned last time that I was kicking around the idea of doing an episode on impeachment and that I would kind of leave it up to you all to give me some feedback as to whether or not you wanted to hear anything about impeachment or whether you were just sick of it and you didn't want to hear anything about it. Uh, I've given it a little bit of thought. Here's what we're going to do. I'm not going to do an entire episode on impeachment. I am going to uh, discuss some other things first, and then the second half of the show, I'm going to give you my thoughts about impeachment. I'm not going to get all deep into the facts and all that. I'm just going to kind of give you my general overall comments about it. Not just about this, but impeachment in general and whatever the hell comes into my mind as I'm talking about it. So that's what we're going to do. And then I don't know if we're ever going to talk about impeachment again. Uh, I guess we'll just, we'll just have to see where this whole thing goes and uh, play it by ear. But I'm not chasing that shiny object and just being distracted by impeachment like pretty much everyone else out there is. And of course, that's our problem. We are, as a conservative movement, uh, for lack of a better term, there's really not much Well, there's really neither uh, a movement nor anything conservative about it, as we've discussed many times. But chasing the shiny objects, being distracted by nonsense, um, whether it's impeachment or whatever attack Trump launches against somebody on Twitter today, uh, all this is nonsense. It doesn't matter a whit to anything. We've got serious problems in this country that are fundamental threats to our future, and not just the long-term future way down the road. Our problems that have been festering and growing worse for decades are now converging, and we are almost at the point where they're going to take this country down. Two of the most uh, overriding problems are illegal immigration and the national debt, um, both of both the scale of those two problems is off the charts, but we don't talk about it because we're busy chasing the shiny objects. We're busy listening to the hacks on Fox News and uh, in talk radio, and so we don't focus on any issues. I'm not go- going to obsess on impeachment. We're going to discuss some issues here. But now it comes to my mind. Let me make this point that I've been meaning to make about impeachment. Before I actually get to our segment on impeachment, I'm going to throw this in here now. Impeachment and the Mueller investigation before it, and pretty much all of these investigations and attacks on President Trump, which, as you all know, began from the moment he took office, 
They are the best thing that ever happened to Trump as president. I know he rails against them, and he might even uh, really, you know, hate that he's under investigation. I I'm sure he hates that he's being impeached. It's obvious that he hates being impeached because of the stain that that's going to leave uh, on his legacy. So I'm, I'm, I have no doubt that he hates the fact that he's being impeached. But that aside, as a practical matter, impeachment, the Mueller investigation, and everything else, those things are the best things that ever happened to Trump. And here's the reason why. I talk a lot about the cult following that has formed around President Trump. And there, there, there are some reasons for it. One of the reasons, and the main reason, is that he is seen by, by many in the Republican Party, probably most of, in the Republican Party, as the only Republican in their lifetimes who has ever fought back against the left. You know, for years and years and years, we've sat by while the people we elected, whether they were presidents, members of Congress, governors, whatever, are attacked by the leftists and the media and everywhere else as being racists, bigots, sex, all of this. And by extension, we are called those things. You know, we are sexists and racists and bigots of all sorts for having voted for these people. And we sit here and we listen to these attacks and the people who have a platform, the ones we elected, do not fight back. They do nothing. They take it. They cower in fear. They kowtow to the media. I mean, for eight years, we watched George W. Bush be slandered and all of us slandered. And that guy did nothing. He said nothing. He never hit back. He just took it like a punching bag pathetic little weakling just sitting there never and because the reason was he didn't want to uh sully the office by by responding he wanted to be above it and so what was the result the result was much of the country began to believe all of those things because all those charges went unanswered and so if the, if the if only one side is is speaking making accusations, and the other side does nothing to even refute them, doesn't even deny the charges, just sits there like a bump on the log. And people are going to believe those charges, a lot of them. And what happened was, by the end of George W. Bush's presidency, his approval rating was somewhere around 28%. That had a of course, that had a lot to do with the fact that a lot of Republicans abandoned him too by that point. Um, because of all the, the, the establishment rhino policies he pushed. But be that as it may. So Trump comes along and he is seen as someone who's fighting back against these people. He doesn't take their crap. He doesn't just sit by while he is called a racist and a sexist and everything else. He's the first person who fought back against these people. And we cheer. Rightfully, we cheer. Finally, Someone's hitting these people back, and we love it. Well, that is, is a, a main reason why he has such 
devoted followers because he is seen as fighting for them. But here's the problem with that. He's not fighting, as, as we talk about, and I'll point out again today on some of these stories I have here. He's not actually fighting on anything that matters, like issue-wise. He's not fighting on the issues. He's just fighting a personal fight. It's a personal battle. Trump against the media. Trump against the leftists. And for us, it's sort of like a personal battle for us against these people by proxy through Trump. Okay, we're fighting them by supporting him. And we have been dying to fight it back against these people and we've never had an opportunity. Now we have an opportunity to fight back. Yeah, we're a racist. Yeah, we'll take this. What about all this you scumbags do? You know, we point out their hypocrisy now. Trump hits back at them. And so finally, we can we are, are, are feeling like we are fighting back against them when he fights back. So our support of him is how we fight back against them. And so it is, it is the, our support for Trump, or among a lot of people in the Republican Party, has become very personal for that reason. It's a personal fight against the left through Trump, through our support of him. But none of that matters in the long run because we're not addressing the issues. Like I said, he's fighting the personal battles, but he's not fighting on the issues in the ways that really are going to matter to the future of the country. You know, fighting back against the media when they, when they run a story that lies about something Trump said. You know, like say the Charlottesville thing. And Trump's, you know, there, there were good people on both sides comment. And he fights back against that, just as an example. Fighting that way, which is pretty much all we do. That's the whole fight. It's every day it's some new version of that. It's personal attacks against Trump and against us. And then Trump and we, by proxy, fight back against the media. But it's all personal. It's all this surface stuff. Oh, you're a racist. No, you're a racist. Uh, all of that. None of it matters to the future of the country. Fighting back that way, the Twitter battles, the Twitter wars, doesn't do a damn thing to secure the border. Doesn't do a damn thing to start paying down the debt or at least reducing that deficit a little bit. And I don't expect that we're going to start paying down the debt anytime soon. That would that would mean we we would have balanced budgets and actually start running surpluses and start paying. We're nowhere near that. But can we at least maybe at least pause the spending increases? I mean, last year alone we had a 1.3 trillion dollar deficit. Can we at least not go higher than that this year? Well, of course not. We're already on track to to you know, speed right past $1.3 trillion deficit. We're going to be more than that. So we're going in the opposite direction with our foot on the gas. We're not winning in any way that matters. And we are all distracted by the personal Twitter wars and all the meaningless fights. Meanwhile, the left is winning. The left is gaining ground every single day. 
They are gaining ground politically as red state after red state trends trends more and more blue. And people are going to wake up one day and Texas will be gone. Georgia, Arizona, North Carolina, Florida, and soon South Carolina and others will be gone. We will be a one-party country because we were all distracted by the nonsense while the left is gaining ground. And Trump has, for many people, become their personal savior of some, you know, their personal political savior. It's all personal because he's the first person fighting for them in a way that they have been dying to have somebody fight on their behalf. And so he has, he has garnered all this personal loyalty. People feel very personal about Trump. And that's why you can't get through to these people on the issues. They don't want to hear it. They have elevated Trump in their minds to something far beyond just a normal politician. They defend him like a member of the family. They don't know this guy. Most of them have never met Trump. And to the extent they did, maybe they shook his hand in a, a line somewhere. They don't know the guy. I don't know the guy. I don't know any of these politicians and I don't care to. It's not personal for me, but to them, for many of them, at least with respect to Trump, it is very, very personal. And so they defend him reflexively. And in a republic, look, if we can't hold our elected representatives accountable, if we can't criticize them and push them to try to influence them to keep their promises to do what we elected them to do, if we can't do that, then we are completely at their mercy and we have no ability to, to affect them when you just give your blind allegiance and you just support everything that they do. And that's what many people in our side have done because of the personal connection. And so if you try to talk about, look, illegal immigration, I make no bones about it. I try to tell, I try to wake people up as much as I can. You know, I, it, it's like pissing in the wind. It's an uphill battle. I try to wake people up to the single most important issue we face. And that's, that's for, it really, it's immigration, legal and illegal. But I sort of focus on illegal immigration because, look, we can't even get most people to wake up to the problem of illegal immigration. If we can't even get them to wake up to illegal immigration, we're never going to convince them that, hey, we've got to slow down legal immigration. Because people on our side... You know, that's the virtue signaling that our side does on the issue. They say, oh, well, I'm opposed to illegal immigration, but I'm all for more legal immigration. Well, you know, when you bring in people in enough numbers, it doesn't matter if they come here legally or illegally. We can't assimilate them. And by the way, the ways in which we used to assimilate people, we don't have those, those methods in place anymore. There really is no assimilation. How do you Americanize someone from another country, especially someone who's not from another Western country, which is most of our people now, most of our immigrants now, legal and illegal. They're not coming from Western countries. They're coming from third world shitholes that bear no resemblance whatsoever to the United States. They, know, they cannot relate to this country in the least. How do you Americanize those people? Well, it used to be they go to our public schools and they get Americanized in that way. 
through our um, our civic engagement. They get in, they uh, get Americanized that way through our patriot, you know, our movies. Hollywood used to be very patriotic and pro-America. Yeah, all of these ways, these immigrants come in. Say, say. They get exposed to those things, our education system, our, our media, uh, you know, the mainstream media, Hollywood, entertainment. All of those things are far left. They're run by people who hate this country. So that's how they're, to the extent they're being assimilated at all, they're being assimilated in that way. So it, it doesn't matter if they're here legally or illegally in terms of being able to assimilate them. It, it, it's just not happening. We have way too many people and, I mean, we're bringing way too many people in and we're allowing way too many people to come in and we no longer have the institutions in place that are pro-American. I mean, these people, are they come in and they are learned to hate America because that's what's taught in our schools. That's what's taught in our media. That's the messages they get everywhere. America is a racist place. Everybody is owed everything because of the white people stole it from everyone. So they come here and uh, the Democrat Party and, and all the institutions that they control convince these people that America is racist and hateful and white people owe you everything. So there is no assimilation, no healthy assimilation. There's no healthy Americanization going on with this, uh, these, these waves, these unending waves of millions of immigrants legal and illegal. So I focus on illegal because like I said, we can't get people to even even agree that we need to do something about illegal immigration. So back to my point. I focus on immigration because it trumps everything else. Every other problem is made a million times worse because of it. And anything we, we try to do any reforms we might make, any accomplishments we might achieve, they're all going to be undone because of illegal immigration. Once enough states go from red to blue, Democrats have a stranglehold on the White House, and any, anything that we've accomplished all goes out the window. So Trump likes to tweet every day about the high stock market. What the, who can, at some point, that's not going to matter at all. That stock market's going to be in the toilet. The economy is going to be in the toilet. We're going to have runaway inflation. We're going to have massive government involved in every aspect of your life. We're going to hurdle, you know, 100 miles an hour towards collapse. We've got $25 trillion of debt right now. Can you imagine what it's going to be when Democrats have a stranglehold on the White House? Forget about it. Everything comes down to immigration. And so that's what I focus on because until we get that under control, everything else is a moot point. But we can't even have a serious conversation about that. If we're going to have a serious conversation about that, then you must talk about the president and what he is doing and not doing with respect to that issue. You must if you're going to be serious about the issue. Because that's how, that's how we do this. You know, we got laws and we've got a president to enforce the laws. What's going, what's going on? Where's the breakdown? Why are we not getting this situation under control? You can't seriously discuss that if you don't take a look at what our current laws are, um, what Congress should be doing, what president can be doing right now, what he should be doing. We, all we want to do with respect to this issue on our side 
is put all the blame on other people. As long as we can put the blame on people other than Trump, then we really don't care whether or not Trump does anything. And so you, you try, I try all the time to say, look, Trump is not even doing everything, everything he can under current law, not even close. I mean, Trump could stop illegal immigration today if he wanted to. He should have done it on day one. It's easy. I mean, everything, we're supposed to pretend that everything is hard. Every solution is so hard. No, illegal immigration is not a hard issue to solve. It's very, very easy. It just takes the political will. That's all it takes. But the solution is simple. Implementation just takes courage and the willingness to do it, which obviously Trump does not have. All you have to do Put the military on the border. He's commander-in-chief. Article 2 gives him full authority to put the, the military on the border. Shut it down right now. Then you pause this entire phony asylum process. We don't accept a single new asylum request, which Trump can do right now under current statutory law. Current law allows him to do that. You do those two things. You end birthright citizenship, which he could do by executive order right now until you get a law passed by Congress, but we're not there right now. We're not, never going to get birthright citizenship through Congress, you know, getting rid of birthright citizenship for the children of illegal aliens. We're never going to get that through Congress right now, but we can do it by executive order and at least stop, stop it right now until we get a permanent fix. You start going after employers who hire illegal aliens. There's lots of things. Mass deportations. <laughs> There's no reason we shouldn't be rounding up illegal aliens and deporting them. Hell, we just had, I mean, they're brazen about it. There's no in the shadows here. They're all out in our face. You probably saw the videos of them all lining up for blocks in New York. All these illegal aliens because uh, now it's legal for them to get driver's licenses in New York and New Jersey. And they're all out there celebrating. You've seen the disgusting videos. There's no reason we shouldn't send a team of ICE agents down there and arrest them all and get them the hell out of here. No, instead we're giving them driver's licenses and welfare payments. There's a lot we can do under current law right now. But if you attempt to have that conversation to say, look, are you serious about the issue? Are you serious about the future of the country? Then we need to put pressure on the president to do everything in his power right now. Yes, the laws aren't perfect. There are things we can change and we should, we should continue to put pressure on Congress. But we need to push the president to do what he can right now under current law. If you say that to most people in the Republican Party, they'll just get reflexively defensive of Trump as if you were criticizing a member of their family because to them it's personal. And it doesn't matter. When someone starts, someone you don't know or don't know well, starts criticizing a member of your family. You're, you, most, most of us don't really react well to that, even if they're making legitimate criticisms, even if they're criticisms that you would make of your family member yourself. You know, it's fine for, yeah, look, we're in the family. We can criticize Joe, but you're not a member of our family. You don't get to criticize him. And so you, you get angry about it. You get your back up. You get defensive. And you defend your family member. Because who the hell are you? You don't get to criticize him. Only we can criticize him. That's how it is with people on our side when it comes to Trump. It's personal. 
And so even if in theory, they agree with every single thing you're saying about the power of the president, the current law, what we should be doing, as soon as you mention Trump, you've lost them. They don't want to hear it. It's all personal. And the personal devotion to the man trumps everything else. Everything else. And so, look, back to my original point. Already gone far afield of it. Well, what else is new? That's kind of what I do. Um, Back to my point, which was impeachment, Mueller, and all these nonstop attacks by the left on the president are the best thing that has ever happened to Trump politically. Because when Trump is under attack, then everyone on our side is just in complete defense mode. That's all they want to do is defend Trump against everything and anything. And, and while they're busy defending Trump, that's all they care about. They don't care about the other issues at all. And what that does is it causes them not to pay attention to those issues. Because if you were, if you were serious about the issues, if you were serious about the future of the country, and you see that now after three years, if you're going to be honest on the big issues, on the central promises of his 2016 campaign, Trump has done basically nothing. Not on the big issues. Now, yes, on illegal immigration, he's tried a few things and then quickly just gives up. You know, they fall back on the on the court's argument. Oh, well, some district judge in Hawaii issued a nationwide injunction. Guess I can't do anything. And then our side excuses the whole failure on illegal immigration and just chalks it up to judges. Well, the judges won't let him. It's not his fault. We don't even have a conversation about, well, why is he following these stupid, why is he abiding by these ridiculous nationwide injunctions issued by some single district court somewhere? District judges preside over their little tiny districts. They have authority over their little tiny districts. That's it. They have zero authority to issue nationwide injunctions. Trump following these nationwide injunctions, abiding by them, that is a problem in and of itself. We should be criticizing him for that. Look, if we're going to be serious about the issue, then we got to confront these judges. Not just say, oh, well, I tried. You know, that doesn't matter that you tried. We're still, is that supposed to make us feel better when we've completely lost the country? Well, he tried, but that Hawaii judge struck him down. So what are you going to do? I guess the country's gone. You know, now it's full-blown socialism. But hey, what do we do? No, I don't care about the excuses. And if you were serious about the issue, you wouldn't care about the excuses either. Now, it's a problem to be sure, and we have to talk about it. But there are ways around it. We don't even talk about that. You know, we don't even talk about impeaching these lawless federal judges. Here's another thought I had about these federal judges. You know, in this day and age, social media, you can shame people very, very easily. You can bring boatloads of negative attention down on people very, very easily. Trump does it all the time with his Twitter feed. He gangs up on people. He tries to shame them every single day literally every single day, many times a day on Twitter. And that really does have a serious effect. In fact, that, that is how he has gotten, you know, lockstep control over the elected Republican Party in Washington, many of whom do not like him, especially in the Senate. You know, the Senate, a lot of those guys and women cannot stand Trump, the Republicans. 
but you don't hear a negative word about Trump out of them anymore. There was early on, but not anymore. Now, part of that is because of his cult-like following among most Republicans. But also, they're afraid if they say anything, Trump will fire off a tweet, and that would be terrible for them. They don't want that kind of a heat, that kind of heat. You know, the entire country will be focused on you. The entire wrath of the Republican Party will be focused on you with one tweet from Trump. Why does Trump not turn a little bit of that on some of these judges? Yeah, he whines about these judges occasionally, now and then, when uh, they strike down something Trump does. And he'll say, oh, another judge struck me down. That's all he'll say, something like that. Name them. They do have a name. Name these freaking people. They, these judges get to sit from on high behind their benches with everyone kissing their ass. Oh, your honor. Oh, your honor. By the way, I never call judges your honor. I call them judge. I can't stand it. I'm not giving them that sort of you know, respect that they don't deserve. You don't deserve the respect just because you've got a black robe on as far as I'm concerned. You know, I got to show the proper decorum and respect for the court and all that. But you, I'm not calling you your honor. Most of these people, there's nothing honorable about them. So when I go to court, it's judge. Yes, judge. No judge. I don't do the your honor shit. Uh, but anyways, so all these judges are, are sitting up on high behind their benches. They're kissing their butts. And, and they're ruling, you know, as if they're kings issuing proclamations. And they do it in anonymity. You can't name any of these district court judges. None of us can. We don't know these people's names. And when there's a story about them, almost never are their names even included. But we never call them out. Trump could call them out by name. Shame these freaking people. I don't know how much of um, an effect it'll have, but I bet you it would have an effect. I bet you it would. make some Publicly shame these people. Bring some negative heat down on them. These are public offices. These people are making decisions that affect all of us. They're, they're, they're issuing public policy rulings. Of course, they have no authority to issue public policy rulings. That's for the elected branches of government, but they do it nonetheless. If they're going to do all this stuff, then they need to be criticized in the court of public opinion, just like everybody else. But no, they escaped that. Trump could bring incredible heat down on these people with a single tweet, but he doesn't do it. There's so, the point is, there's so much we can do. We can impeach these people. We don't talk about it. There's so much we can do. We don't talk about any of it. Because to talk about it is to say, hey, Trump needs to do this. As soon as you say Trump needs to do anything, you've lost all of these, these people I'm talking about. Because they hear that as a criticism of Trump, and they don't want to hear that. They're not going to hear anything you say. All they're going to do is go into defense mode, and they're going to attack you back and make a million different excuses. It's judges, it's Paul Ryan. What do you expect him to do? He's not a dictator. Oh, he's not? How about those bump stocks that you can't get anymore that he uh, banned by executive order that he had no authority to do? You know, uh, you know, not for nothing, but that's sort of the act of a dictator. Yeah, just saying. But that's one of their favorite excuses. He's not a dictator. Whatever. But the point is, if we were going to be serious about the issues, and if we as a party were actually focused on issues rather than the shiny objects, rather than constantly just 
focused on defending Trump against the left and against the media, then we would pay attention to the issues. And if we were seriously paying attention to the issues, then we'd start to question Trump. You'd be like, hey, wait a minute. You've been president for three years and illegal immigration is now worse than when you took office. What's up with that? What's going on here? Hey, you've been president for three years and the deficit last year was $1.3 trillion. You've added uh, about more than a trillion dollars a year to the debt since you've been in office and you promised you were going to eliminate the debt. Hey, what's up with that? Hey, you said you were going to repeal Obamacare. What's up with that? I don't even hear you talking about that anymore. Hey, what about our education system? You don't do anything about that. Hey, you know, I hear you tell, telling us all the time that you're defending the Second Amendment. Well, what have you done on that? Have you, have you done anything on the Second Amendment? Or is it just a cheap throwaway line at a rally? Every time you hear him talk about the Second Amendment, it's the same thing. He says the same thing every time. Oh, we're protecting your Second Amendment. That's what he said. That's the, that's the sum total. That's the line. And he throws it out there in every single rally. And that's the extent of it. And I've protected your Second Amendment. That's it. Well, what have you do? Okay, so you haven't signed any more gun control laws. Uh, but that's that's it. I mean, you haven't expanded our rights. What have we done about nationwide concealed carry? You know, the Second Amendment is a fundamental right protected by the Second Amendment. And it's supposed to apply to us wherever in this country we go. But it doesn't. You do not have the same rights under the Second Amendment, uh, depending upon what state or locality you're in. That needs to change. Do we even talk about that? No. There are people, you, know, you could be in, um, you know, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. You have a concealed carry permit. You take a wrong turn. You got your gun on you. You take a wrong turn. All of a sudden, you find yourself in New Jersey. And if you have a taillight out, the cop stops you. Now, guess what? You're a felon. You're getting arrested. And you're going to get 10 years in prison. Why? Because you took a wrong turn and you had your legal gun on you that you are legally licensed to carry, uh, you know, 15 feet that way. But you took a wrong, wrong turn, now you're in New Jersey, and now you're a, you're a felon. That stuff, we don't even talk about stuff like that. There's so much. So, you know, if we focused on issues, the actual issues, people would start to question Trump if they were honest, if they actually care about the issues. they start to have some questions. Hey, you say we're winning everything. I, now that I think about it, I, I don't really see all that much winning. What, what are we doing on these things? What, what, what the hell I elect you for? I elected you to, you know, expand my rights under the Second Amendment. I, I, I elected you to get rid of this damn Obamacare. I elected you to start reducing this deficit, not add to it. You know, if I wanted $1.3 trillion deficits, you know, I would have voted for Hillary. What, what am I doing? What's going on here? And so if we started focusing on those issues, then Trump's popularity among Republicans would go down. He wouldn't have this cult-like following if instead of just defending him against personal attacks against him and against us by proxy, we would start to be a little bit uh, annoyed at least, right, over these issues failures like every other president you know that look george w bush 
His popularity among Republicans in that second term went down and down and down as it started dawning on people, you know what? This guy really isn't doing squat for us. And so that's how you get to a 28% approval rating. You get, you get mad at the things that the guy you voted for did and mad at the things that the guy hasn't done that you voted for him to do. And so you get mad on the issues. And you try to put pressure on them and whatever. But there's not a cult-like following when, when it's about issues. And that's what would happen here. But the, like I said, it's the best thing that ever happened to Trump, Mueller, and now impeachment because it keeps people constantly defending him, constantly engaged in a personal war, our own, per- because it's a personal war for us by proxy through Trump against the media, against those people trying to take Trump down. It's personal. And while we're always defending him personally, we're not focused at all on the issues. And so that's how we've gotten this cult following. You know, Democrats are the dumbest people on the planet. They really are. Trump is also exceedingly fortunate in that the, the people who are in charge of the Democrat Party now are just so breathtakingly stupid. If they were smart, they would have dropped all of this impeachment stuff. They never would have brought up impeachment. They wouldn't, they would have dropped all these investigations because they should have learned that their constant attacks is what is causing this, just this very deep seated personal connection that has sort of morphed into a cult of personality between Trump and his supporters in the Republican party. And once you have that kind of bond, you can't break it. So there, these impeachment you're not going to get at Trump's base. You're not going to convince them with all these attacks. You're just going to make them defend Trump even more. If they were smart, they would have dropped all of this and focused it on the issues. Because if we focus on issues and if we're just debating on issues all the time, there's going to be people on our side, not all of them, that's for sure. But there'll be some people on our side that are currently just constantly in defense mode in in defending Trump. Some of these people would begin to wake up and go, hey, what, what, what's going on here? What's going on here, Trump? And so the, his support would begin to fall. And then maybe they would have a better chance at defeating him in 2020. But they're stupid. They're, they're not, it's, it's unbelievable to me that they haven't figured this out. But apparently they haven't. And they're even out there saying that even if he gets acquitted in the Senate, they're not going to stop these investigations. Man, these people are just stupid beyond words. If they were really smart, what they would do is, in 2020, they'd have some outside packs running, running ads sort of aimed at Trump from the right. Because that's a way to sort of pick off some of these people for whom issues actually matter. You know, start pointing out that illegal immigration has gotten worse under Trump. Start pointing out the deficit. Start pointing out the growth of government under Trump. You point these things out. You know, the Democrats can't say these things because, you know, Democrats don't believe. Democrats are all for those things. They love illegal immigration. They love deficit spending. They love the expansion of government. So they can't come out and say it. But they could have anonymous little political action committees run ads targeting Trump supporters from the right. They're not smart enough to do that. They'll never do that. So in 2020, all of their attacks against Trump will just be, 
oh, we can't elect him again. He's a racist. You want to, you know, he's corrupt. He's impeached. All these things. That's not going to pick off any Republicans. <laughs> That's not going to make any Republicans abandon them, abandon him. That's just going to make Republicans defend him even more. But these people are really stupid. And, you know, it amazes me that there are Democrat strategists who are getting rich off of advising Democrats and they're giving them this horrible advice. I could give them much better advice. They would, they would never listen to me. And I, of course, I wouldn't want to help them succeed anyway. But I'm just saying, just between you and I, it's not like leftists are listening to this podcast anyway. Uh, but that's what they would do if they're smart. But they're not smart. They're, it, they're just breathtakingly stupid. There's no other way to put it. These people are so stupid. Okay. So anyways, that, that's what I, my long-winded way of saying impeachment and all these investigations really are, in a perverse kind of a way, the best thing that ever happened to Trump. The best thing. Trump would not have this cult following, not to this degree, without these endless investigations and now impeachment. That's how we got here. But, all right, so let's, uh, how far am I into this podcast? Oh, damn it. I'm already like 40 minutes in. You people got to, you know, tap me on the shoulder and tell, tell me, Mark, you're already at 41 minutes here. You got to, can you get to those other points? All right. Let me run through a couple of stories here real quick. Did you see this? It's up on markpantano.com. This was back in 2011, but the story is uh, just, now, just now coming out. The IRS sent over $46 million in tax refunds to a total of about 23,000 illegal aliens all claiming to live at the same address. That's your federal government for you, people. We paid illegal aliens just in at one living at one address alone, $46 million. And we sent it to 23,000 illegal aliens. Like, you know, I've seen a lot of illegals pile into a pickup truck, but I've never seen 23,000 of them fit into one house. Even, you know, that's a little much. Uh, but it's not just this one address. This, this article uh, in CNS News goes on and on and on. This was, this was just the one address that had the most illegal aliens claiming it. But there are a lot of other single addresses with thousands and thousands of illegals claiming that as their address. And our, you know, our idiot federal government goes, oh, all right, then. I guess their rent's real cheap when you split it among 23,000 people, but whatever, send them their refund checks. <clears throat> and just the idea that illegal aliens are getting refund checks should piss you off. Uh, we give tax ID numbers to illegal aliens. We're, we're issuing official government uh, IDs, no, uh, tax ID numbers. We're giving them driver's license to people who are here in violation of our laws. On top of that, we're giving them free health care, welfare, all this. Uh, we don't discuss this because we're busy on the shiny objects. And, of course, it's not Trump's fault anyway. Some judge in Hawaii will just strike him down if he tries to do anything. So, you know, it's the perfect built-in excuse, and I'm sick and tired of it. I, and I get that as a, pro, a, a, a proactive, I mean, rather, a, a proscriptive excuse. They give that excuse in advance. before he. It, it's an excuse for him not even trying. Well, if he did that, I can't even tell you how many times. I posted an, uh, a, a tweet yesterday, right? saying exactly what I just laid out the other um, few minutes ago about what Trump could do right now to stop illegal immigration. I just laid them out in bullet points. And you 
Unbelievable how many people reply to me, Yeah, sounds good, but you know a judge would just strike him down, so what's the point? Alright. So I guess we should just do nothing then. We don't, don't even make the judge strike him down. Don't even, don't even bother. Just assume he's gonna strike him down and don't do anything. Let's not even talk about saying, Hey, you know what? This dirtbag judge doesn't even have the authority. Maybe we should just ignore this stupid ruling. Now, we, we don't even get there. We're making excuses in advance now. Real conservative movement we got going on there. Okay, what else do I have here? Illegal alien accused of killing father of two. Freed into the U.S. again by an Obama-appointed judge. Oh, okay. A 27-year-old illegal alien from Honduras is accused of running a red light on June 22nd in Illinois, causing him to hit and kill a 39-year-old Corey Cottrell while riding his motorcycle. All right, this, I got to speed it up because, you know, I had diarrhea of the mouth again. Uh, goes on to say that uh, he gets released on just minuscule bond and he's already out. So illegal alien uh, with a driver's license, of course, because Illinois gave him a driver's license, uh, crashes into a guy riding his motorcycle who was uh, visiting his mother. He's dead and this uh, piece of shit is out on some tiny little bond. All right, here's another story. Brazilians arrive in waves at the U.S.-Mexico border. This is another article that's up on markpantano.com. Um, look, Brazil is in South America. That's a, long, that's a long way to walk. But you know what? We already have most of Central America in the United States already. We have had so many tens of millions of illegal aliens from Mexico and all these Latin American countries. They've been coming in waves and waves and waves for really decades, but seriously for the last 10 years. Uh, that most of them who want to come to the United States, they're already here. Latin America now is, uh, you know, Central America is now populated only with people who actually want to stay there because everybody who wants to come to the United States already left. They're already on the welfare rolls. They're already in schools with your kids. You know, they're already getting the free health care while you wait in line. You know, they're already here. So uh, now we're getting them in from everywhere else. So now, now they're pouring in from Brazil and South America. But it's not just even in this hemisphere. We've got them from coming all over. I got another article up on markpantano.com where we're having a huge surge in African migrants. Or, you know, I've... Even I fall into the, the, the words migrants. Illegals from, from all kinds of countries in Africa. We got them coming all over the world. And they all come through Mexico too. We're well, not all of them. A lot of them come through Mexico. Because they know that if they can just get to Mexico, it's clear sailing into the U.S. Because we've got a 2,000 mile border that we do absolutely nothing to secure. But we're supposed to be very, very satisfied that we have 78, fence, uh, 78 miles of replacement fence. See, so Trump's already taken care of that issue. We don't have to worry about it anymore. And certainly the hacks on talk radio don't talk about it anymore because that issue has been solved. And we certainly don't want to bring it up going into an election year. So that's why you don't hear about it because these hacks don't really care about it either. They're all rushing to kiss his ass so that Trump will tweet something about them. Okay, so we've got that. Uh, here's another one, 30, uh, 372,000 born to immigrants every year, 33,000 to tourists. So this is the whole anchor baby thing. 
300, uh, okay, let me read this a little bit. This is from the Washington Examiner. Illegal and visiting immigrants give birth to enough children in the United States every year to top the populations of St. Louis, Pittsburgh, or Anaheim. And at least 33,000 are considered, quote, birth tourists, eager to win their children birthright citizenship and themselves a quick ticket in, according to two news reports on Thursday. The Center for Immigration Studies, using federal statistics, has found that there are 39,000 births a year to foreign students, guest workers, and others on long-term temporary visas, plus an additional 33,000 births annually to tourists. So they plan their vacations for nine months into their pregnancy. They come here so they can get win birthright citizenship for their kid. Once you get your kid to be an American citizen, then you're, you're in. Because they're not going to deport you when you've got an American citizen kid. And all of this, this, this uh, 39,000 here, 33,000, none of this is illegal immigrants. Okay, uh, The typical anchor babies. That doesn't even include those. So we don't do anything about that. Of course, we don't. Trump promised over a year ago that he was going to issue an executive order ending birthright citizenship, which he could do because contrary to popular belief, there is no statute granting birthright citizenship to the children of illegal aliens. There is nothing in the Constitution granting birthright citizenship to the children of illegal aliens. That is a lie. The 14th Amendment does not do that. And so that granting birthright citizenship to these people is just something that our bureaucracy started doing and just continues to do. Trump controls the, the bureaucracy as the head of the executive branch. In fact, he is the executive branch per Article 2 of the Constitution. And he could change that with a stroke of the pen. That's it. Now, people on our side cheered when Trump made that promise. Now... If you say, hey, Trump, where's that executive order? All of those people who cheered will now, uh, you know, try to cut your throat politically. They will attack you for even suggest suggesting it because it's, it's heard as an attack on Trump, as a criticism of Trump, and they can't have that. So whereas if Trump actually did issue an executive order to, to end birthright citizenship for the children of illegal aliens, they would all applaud. They'd be very excited. They would tell you that he's the greatest president ever. But until then, since he hasn't done it, if you even bring it up, they will attack you. And they will give you every excuse in the book. Well, the Constitution won't let him. Oh, that uh, he's not a dictator. Uh, some judge will just strike him down. Uh, we should do it through Congress so it's permanent. I agree we should do it. First of all, those three, the first three excuses are bullcrap. Uh, your last point about it, it should come through Congress. Yes, we should get a change in the law. Well, not even, it doesn't require a change in the law. It's just a new law to clearly state that we're not doing this anymore. Yeah, that should come from Congress because it would be much more permanent. But since Congress is not going to do it anytime soon, we should do an executive order because at least in the meantime, we could stop it. And if we, if, if, People in other countries can't get birthright citizenship for their kids while they're on vacation. Uh, they'll stop doing it. They will stop attempting to do it. You know, you won't have Rosita on, on uh, you know, when she's nine months pregnant, walk into Laredo, Texas to give birth when she has spent her entire life in Mexico and just walked the day before into Laredo to give birth. 
so that her kid can get American citizenship. And then she can say, oh, but I got to stay too because I'm the baby mama. That will end. We won't do that anymore. He could stop that at least right now while we work on a permanent fix. But no, if you even suggest that, if you even bring it up, they're going to attack you. Um, okay, what are we going to have done this one? All right, here's another one. This is about, I don't have time to read these things, but this is all about this article here I got in Breitbart. All about these, uh, these well-established trails through the woods in South Texas and other places across our southern border where the, where the drug cartels come free. Uh, just back and forth, across the border, smuggling drugs, uh, shepherding illegal aliens up here for cash, all of that. And uh, we don't do a thing about it, really. I mean, Border Patrol is struggling uh, to even apprehend a small fraction of these people. They can't do it because they're under-resourced, they're underfunded, they don't have enough personnel. And guess what? The uh, budget bill that we're about to get through Congress and that Trump is going to sign, doesn't give ICE any new money. Doesn't give Border Patrol any new money. But it gives more money to the EPA. It gives more money to welfare through the earned in income tax credit. It gives more money to all sorts of leftist wet dreams. But we have no new money for the border and no new money for the wall either. So, you know, Democrats, time after time, even under Trump, Democrats get everything they want Republicans get screwed. But we don't even talk about it because we're busy defending Trump against impeachment, against the Mueller report, against media attacks. We don't care about the issues because we're busy defending him because he's the only one fighting for us. He's not fighting for us in any way that matters. You know, I got over all of that fighting for us crap long ago. It was fun for a while, you know, but at some point, at least for me, uh, the novelty of that kind of wore off. Yeah, whoopee, he punched back at being called a racist. I don't care. I don't care because I'm watching the country disintegrate before my eyes. I don't really care that he made fun of Nancy Pelosi's teeth. I really couldn't care less. I want him to fight on the things I elected him to fight on, which he's not doing. And uh, which we cannot get the Republican Party, the voters of this party, to focus on because they're, they're busy watching Fox News and talk radio and, uh, you know, jumping on demand for whatever those puppet masters tell them to jump for. You know, uh, they get their talking points there. They get focused on whatever it is that Mark Levin or Rush Limbaugh is focused on. And that's it. Couldn't care less about the issues. All right. Um, oh, here's, here's one final article real quick. This is about uh, this, this ridiculous budget bill that's making its way through Congress right now that Trump is going to sign. This is in Breitbart from uh, this morning. In February, Republicans and Democrats in Congress slipped through a bipartisan measure that prevent federal immigration officials from deporting any individual deemed a UAC's sponsor. A USC is an unaccompanied, uh, un unaccompanied children. These are these um, illegal alien kids that come up uh, unaccompanied in waves and waves and waves. Anyways, uh, they can't deport any UAC who is uh, deemed a sponsor, anyone who is deemed a sponsor of a UA UAC. So you got unaccompanied children and then somebody claims them. Oh yeah, I'm with that kid. 
You can't, you can't deport that kid, and you can't deport their sponsor. These sponsors are often illegal alien relatives, in many cases parents. Federal officials have repeatedly noted how the UAC program has been widely used by, get this, MS-13 to import more gang members into the U.S. Every year, about 22,000 potential recruits, recruits, get that number, 22,000 potential recruits for MS-13 are resettled throughout the country by the federal government. So we've got these unaccompanied minors. We've got MS-13 gang members who have learned how to game our system. So they, they bring these kids with them or they claim these kids when they get here or whatever. Hey, I'm with that kid. So because they know we're so stupid, we don't deport the kid and we don't deport anyone who claims to be with the kid, who, who claims to be a sponsor of that kid. So we've got illegals here and they just claim to be a sponsor of them and uh, we don't deport them. So that's what happens. And so MS-13 knows about this and so they claim sponsorship now of illegal alien children and so they get a get out of jail free card and then not only that the federal government resettles them wherever they want to go you know we we give them plane tickets we put them on the bus we give them walking around money we sign them up for welfare and free health care and uh then we resettle ms-13 to your community and a lot of these ms-13 gangbangers are young kids you know vicious hardened criminals but they're young kids they're 12 they're 13 and guess what they're going to school with your kid now. Yeah. Your kid might get knifed in a bathroom by an MS-13 gangbanger. And uh, I'll just, you know, put this out there. That's happening while Donald Trump is president. Not that you, not, you know, not that most people care. And, and they'll just blame it on, oh, well, if you try to deport MS-13, some judge in Hawaii is just going to strike it down anyway. What do you want him to do? He's not a dictator. So... You know, I'm sure that will be a lot of comfort to you, you know, when your kid gets knifed in the bathroom. Okay, so there's that. All right, that's uh, all. Oh, one more thing about this um, Breitbart story. And this, this is a comment about our phony conservative media. I, I read a lot from Breitbart to you guys because they do a lot of good work covering the illegal immigration issue. They cover a lot of these specific stories when illegal aliens are arrested to, to commit some murder or rape, and they, they cover the story. You know, there's not a lot of outlets that cover the stories. And so that's why I quote them a lot. But the, here's the disconnect. They are adamantly against illegal immigration. They cover the issue all the time, yet they almost never put any blame on Donald Trump. Never. You go to Breitbart, it's pro-Trump all the time. It's just, just like everywhere else in the media. For the most part, they just kiss Trump's ass. They don't give him any of the blame for this. They're, the, the issue they cover probably more than any other issue, they obviously care about it, yet they refuse to put any blame uh, or pressure on the one guy who could actually do something about the issue they seem to care most about. But that's our phony conservative media. Even the, one, even the ones I read... You know, and quote to you guys in, in as an editorial position, you know, as 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 a way they approach politics, um, they're phony. They're, they're 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 phony. They got the right position on the issue, but then they don't take the right issue on the politics. 
or they they just just hands off when it comes to Trump. I'm sure they would jump all up on you know rhinos in Congress if they passed an amnesty bill. Um, whatever. You get my point. Okay. Let me try to uh, talk about impeachment here. Try to dial this back a little bit. My thoughts about impeachment, to the extent you give a damn. Um, all right, let's do it this way. Is what Trump is accused of an impeachable offense? Look, a lot of this stuff is opinion, um, and I will give you mine. Now, I, this is coming from someone who has paid very close attention to this. Um, and, and I will tell you, if you have followed the impeachment issue only by listening to talk radio and Fox News and others of the fake conservative media, you probably do not have the full picture of what happened. And you probably have heard a lot of ridiculous opinions about it and a lot of ridiculous spin. Because, as I told you yesterday, both sides in covering this issue have been ridiculous. Both sides. Um, and so, if, if, you're, if you're getting your stuff from Fox News, man, you've been, you've been grossly misinformed. Here's my, my opinion on some of these things. Is what Trump has been accused of doing an impeachable offense under the Constitution as the framers intended it. In my opinion, yes. What he has been accused of is an impeachable offense. Now, should he be removed? Should he be impeached? Those are separate questions. I've told you a million times, impeachment is 100% political. When this began, a lot of the frauds in the media, Mark Levin chief among them, would tell you, oh, Impeachment's not political. Impeachment is legal and constitutional. I told you, yes, you can have that theoretical discussion. Oh, uh, you know, there's constitutional aspects of this. Well, of course. There's quasi-legal aspects of this. Yeah, of course. You know, and Levin would bring that up as a way to say, well, you can't just impeach him for anything. It's, it's a, it has a legal definition and a constitutional meaning and all this. Yeah, yeah. Theoretically, yes. But I told you, practically speaking, it's completely political because it's given to the political branches. If it was legal and purely legal and constitutional, the framers would not have given it to the elected branches. The, the framers would have given the power of impeachment and removal to the courts. They didn't for a reason, because it's not legal. I mean, it, it's a process that is laid out in the Constitution, but that's where the constitutional aspect of it begins and ends. How it is done is completely political, 100% political. Let me ask you this. Has anything you've seen in the last two months on impeachment bear any relation to something that's a legal proceeding or a constitutional? No, there's nothing legal about this. It's pure politics, raw party politics. That's all it is. That's all it's ever been. And I told you that's what it was going to be. And that's what it is. So the question of should he be removed, you know, you can have your theoretical argument, and then you can have your practical argument. We live in a practical universe um, where we're actually doing this things, these things. We're not in a classroom right now. Um, but let, let's try to do a little of, of both here. 
I wrote a book called Destroying Trump, The Left's Obsession to Take Down the President and What It Means for America. And I warned in there, because it was obvious from very early on, that the Democrats were going to do everything they could and would never stop to try to destroy Trump and drive him from office by any means necessary. And I cautioned that if you impeach and remove a president uh, without good cause and without, and this is important, without overwhelming support of the American people, then that is a prescription for chaos. Uh, That's a terrible thing to do. We should never remove a president except for the most egregious crimes, really, um, without overwhelming public support. Now, I can, you know, we can have a theoretical discussion where I could foresee a situation in which a, a president has done something so horrible and the American people being as ignorant and partisan and, and frankly stupid as much, many of them are, uh, even in the face of a horrible, obvious crime, still there's not overwhelming support to impeach and remove. You know, I... That doesn't matter. I mean, if there, there could be things that are just so bad that regardless of public opinion, the guy should be removed from office. Whether or not the American people are smart enough to figure that out at the time, you should just go ahead and, and get rid of somebody who, who has, has done something that egregious. But that's, you know, that's not where we are with this. Um, and, and clearly, the, there's not overwhelming support. Now, That doesn't mean there's overwhelming support in favor of Trump. And that's where, just as an aside, people on our side, you know, they they think that this is going to benefit Trump like immensely and he's going to win in a landslide in 2020 because they're impeaching him. I don't buy that for a second. First of all, every poll, you know, polls are kind of all over the map on this in in terms of does a majority oppose or support impeachment and removal. But roughly speaking, it's 50-50, 47-47, somewhere along there. It is pretty much an even split. Half the country wants him impeached and removed from office. Half the country doesn't. Now, that means if you have half the country who want you impeached and removed from office, uh, you are not going to win in a landslide. No matter how many people tell you, no matter how many people on our side tell you that Trump is going to win in a landslide, No matter how many times Sean Hannity tells you that or whoever, um, it's just not so. If you've got half the country thereabout wanting you impeached and removed, you're not winning in a landslide. Now, you might win, but you're not winning in no landslide. Let's get real. Okay, so anyways, the point is I wrote this book where where I warned about this. And so, no. It would be a very bad thing based on the way public opinion currently stands right now if Trump were to be removed from office with a 50-50 split. Wow, that would be bad. That would be bad. I mean, we are already at each other's throats enough in this country. Can you imagine if if it's a 50-50 split in terms of public opinion and they remove the guy? Man, that would be bad. However... Uh, who knows where, where we'll be when it t- comes time to have a vote in the Senate. Probably won't be any different than it is now. And if uh, what we're hearing out of Mitch McConnell is, is actually what comes to pass, there's not even going to really be a trial. It's going to be a sham 
joke nothing trial. They're basically going to let the managers from the House have their peace. They're going to let the Trump's lawyers just make their, you know, make some statements. Uh, managers of the House will make statements. Trump's lawyers will make statements and then they'll have a vote. Okay, that's not really a trial, but again, this is political. Um, the trial in the Senate could be whatever the hell the Senate wants it to be. And right now, that's what Mitch McConnell says he wants it to be. So if that's what it is, no public opinion really is going to shift unless new evidence comes out, unless something big happens in the story, unless somebody who has some damning information who hasn't come forward so far comes forward. You know, maybe John Bolton has some damning information. He says, you know what? The hell with this. I, I'm, I'm going to say what I what happened here. And then he comes out with some bombshell. Um, or maybe Rudy Giuliani gets indicted in the Southern District of New York uh, for something having to do with this whole thing. I mean, I'm just speculating here. Of course, Giuliani is under federal investigation. Um, I don't know what's going on with that. I've got no idea. I'm just throwing stuff out there, things that could potentially come out to change the situation. But if nothing does, we're likely to be right where we are now. You know, basically a 50-50 split. It would be terrible if he were removed. Now, back to the issue. Back to the question. Is it an impeachable offense? Uh, yeah, it's an impeachable offense. Here's what he is accused to, he is alleged to have done. He used the power of his office, uh, both by just acting in his official capacity as president, uh, and then also coupled with that, using money that has been passed by Congress to be given to the Ukraine for, for defense. He used the power of his office and that money to pressure a foreign government to do something to benefit Trump personally. Okay, That's what is alleged. If he did that, if he used his power of his office to pressure a foreign leader to do something, the sole purpose of which was to benefit him in his personal capacity, that's an impeachable offense. That is an abuse of power. Whether it constitutes a statutory crime is irrelevant. It's an abuse of power, and it is an impeachable offense. Um, so the question, so that's a theor, that's your theoretical answer. Yes, it is if he did what he, he is alleged to have done. Now, then the question becomes, well, uh, did he do it? Does the evidence show that he did it? Now, I've watched this whole thing. I've kept up on it. My take, my opinion Yes, he did it. I think the evidence is strong. I'm not going to say that it's overwhelming, but I'm going to say that it is very strong that he did in fact do it. It is mostly circumstantial evidence. We have uh, not much in the way of direct evidence in terms of statements made directly by Trump or people who were directly involved testifying about it. But the circumstantial evidence is quite strong. Now, as a legal matter, you do not need direct evidence. Circumstantial evidence is evidence. We can we convict people of murder. We convict them beyond, we find them guilty beyond a reasonable doubt, and we sentence them to the rest of their life, and in many cases, death, based only on circumstantial evidence. So the idea 
that circumstantial evidence is somehow not credible evidence, not real evidence, is uh, just bullshit partisan spin. Circumstantial evidence is perfectly fine. Um, and there's plenty of it in this case, plenty of it. And it's not just that, there is direct evidence. There are people who testified as to what the president actually said. And on top of that, we have the transcript of the call. Of course, the call, it was not a transcript. It was a summary. It was people who were listening to the call taking notes on the call. It's not a transcript. So when Trump says, read the transcript, there is no transcript to read. That was not a verbatim, verbatim transcription of what was said on that call. It was a summary. But we have, we have the summary. And based on the summary, the summary does not help him. It gives Republicans um, ammunition to argue um, but it also gives the other side powerful ammunition to use against them. Because here's the thing. The phone call cannot be viewed in isolation, if you're going to be honest. The phone He didn't just pick up the phone and call this guy. That's not how it works. That's not how heads of state make phone calls to one another, for the most part. Groundwork is laid. They don't just pick up the phone call and just start shooting the shit. They know what each other is going to say and the purpose of the call and what is going to be said in the call before they get on the call and have the conversation. All the groundwork is laid. Our people talk to their people. Our people tell their people what Trump is going to say, what Trump wants from the phone call. Their side says the same thing. There's no surprises going into this. Zelensky knew what Trump was going to say before Trump got on the phone. Okay, and, and there was plenty of evidence to support the fact that Zelensky knew that Trump wanted this favor before they got on the phone call. So when he said, oh, we need you to do a favor for us, though, Zelensky already knew what he was talking about. He knew he was going to say it. Everybody knew. Okay, so the phone call cannot be viewed in isolation. What's important also is all the things that happened beyond the, behind the scenes leading up to the phone call and after the phone call. Phone call is just one tiny part of it. The real evidence is what Trump said to who, what Trump directed, and all of this. And the truth of the matter is a lot of that we don't know. We do not know all of the evidence. And if we're going to be honest, there's a reason for that. Because Trump has refused to give it. Okay? The reason we don't... I mean, the people who would have the most direct knowledge of what happened are those closest to the president. Um, his chief of staff, who Trump has, has uh, ordered not to testify. His secretary of state, who Trump has ordered not to testify. His national security advisor, uh, John Bolton, who Trump has ordered not to testify. And potentially other people who might have direct knowledge of what Trump said, what Trump wanted, and why. Okay? The reason we don't know that information is because Trump has, has, has ordered them not to testify. Now, the question becomes, because one of the articles of impeachment is that he has obstructed Congress uh, by, by ordering his people not to give evidence to Congress. Here's, here's the thing. Um, it is perfectly okay, in my opinion, and justified 
for a president to assert executive privilege when it is warranted. It has happened many, many times. And then we, we fight it out. There's a tension between the legislative, between Congress and the president. Congress wants something. The president claims executive privilege, either over documents or witnesses. And then they fight it out in the courts. Problem is, the courts take very, very, very long. And Congress, the House of Representatives, Nancy Pelosi, has decided they don't want to wait to go through that process because God only knows how long it's going to take. First, got to go to a district court, trial court, get a ruling from the trial court. Now, say they go to court and they, the court orders John Bolton to testify. Well, the president is just going to order that to be appealed. Now you got to wait again. Now, say an appellate court orders John Bolton to testify. The president's going to appeal again. Now we're up to the Supreme Court. You have to wait for it to go through three levels of courts. It could even go through four levels of courts. Because you, when, you, you, when you appeal it to the circuit court, you might just be getting a three-judge panel of the circuit court. Okay, It might not even be a, a, a full panel. It might not even be a hearing and bank to begin with. You might get a three-judge panel. So you get an adverse ruling from Trump's point of view, an adverse ruling from the three-judge panel. You can appeal it um, to the full court. Then you get an adverse ruling there. You can appeal it up to the Supreme Court. So you might go through four levels of courts before you get a final resolution. That could literally take years and years and years. We could be like in the middle of Trump's second term by then. So the Democrats have decided uh, we're not, we're not going to go that route. Uh, I don't, I'm not saying that that was the right call, even from their perspective. I don't know... If, you know, I've said from for a while now that Democrats are not serious about impeaching Trump because if they were serious, they'd, they would have fought harder to get some of these witnesses. The most important witnesses with obviously the most direct knowledge on this subject have not testified. We have not heard from them. And to me, if you're serious about removing the guy, obviously they're serious about impeaching him because he's going to be impeached almost certainly. But they're not serious about removing him. Because if they were, they would have fought as hard as they could to get all of these people. And they haven't. They just, they didn't even put up a fight. They didn't even, they didn't even issue subpoenas to many of these people. They just issued letters, just requests. Hey, we want you to testify. Then they said, no. Oh, okay. And then they dropped it. They didn't even issue a subpoena. So if you don't even issue a subpoena, there's really, you can't, there's nothing even to take to court. You have to at least first issue a subpoena and then fight in the courts over that when they refuse to appear. But they didn't even go down that route. But I'm just kind of laying the groundwork where, where we are. So Congress decided they don't want to fight that way. So we only have these witnesses who do not have, most of them, direct communications with the president because the people with the direct communication have been told not to appear. Now, as I said, it's perfectly fine for a president to assert executive privilege where it's warranted. Here's my problem. If we're going to be honest, let's, let's be honest. Whether you support impeachment or not, that's irrelevant. On this podcast, you and I, we're serious. We, we, we can have our opinions, but also be honest about what's going on. So let's be honest here. Um, Trump did not make a good faith assertion of executive privilege. He didn't. He didn't even cite executive privilege. He just ordered his people just across the board, not to testify. In fact, some of the people that did testify, these ambassadors and, and so forth, they defied President Trump and testified. Trump ordered everyone not to testify. 
The people who did said, oh, to hell with that, I'm testifying anyway because I got it. Well, some of them got subpoenas. Okay, John Bolton didn't get a subpoena, but some of these people got subpoenas. And one, once they received a subpoena, they said, well, I'm not going I've to, been, I've been issued a subpoena, I'm going to show up. You know, the president told me not to, but I got a subpoena here, I'm showing up. And so that's, that's how we got testimony from some of these people. But Trump told everyone, do not testify. Do not give any evidence, uh, documents, anything to Congress. That is not an assertion of privilege. That is not a good faith assertion of privilege for sure. And he didn't really make an assertion of privilege. He just ordered his people not to testify. That is not the same thing. That is not asserting a valid privilege that we could then litigate. That is obstructing Congress. It is. It is. Doesn't mean, you know, you, you have to support impeaching and removing him, but you want, you want to be honest? Congress has a role. They are entitled to this info. They are entitled to all information from the executive branch unless there's a valid privilege asserted. There was no valid privilege here. It was just a bank, a blanket refusal to turn over information. Now, take Trump out of it. Let's just talk about this as a theoretical matter. We're American citizens. This is our government. Whether you think that these, these impeachment charges are bogus and trumped up, there was nothing really here, blah, 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 doesn't matter. Let's just talk theoretically. Congress and the president work for us. We're not their servants. We're not their subjects. We have a right to know all of this information. We have a right to know how the president is conducting business because it's not his personal business. It's the people's business. We have a right to know what he's doing. We have a right to know what he's ordering his secretary of state to do. We have a right to know how he's negotiating with foreign leaders. We have a right to know what he's doing. Unless there is classified information involved, unless there is a valid uh, assertion of executive privilege. And executive privilege doesn't just cover whatever the hell you want it to cover. There has to be a really good reason. Like uh, the, the president is, is being given... Um, you know, legal advice or something, something like that, where there's a, a, a valid assertion of privilege. You can't just make blanket refusals. Now, as a theoretical matter, as an American citizen, you should not like your president, no matter what president it is, it is simply refusing to turn over any information to Congress. And in truth, that has never been done before. You know, we've, we've heard a lot from Republicans saying, well, We've never seen a partisan impeachment like this before. What also is true is that we've never seen a president refuse just as a blanket across the board matter, just refuse to give Congress any information from anyone. We've never seen that before either. Richard Nixon turned over all kinds of information while he was being impeached. Many presidents have turned it over in the middle of investigations and everything. This has never been done before, where it's just been an across-the-board refusal. Okay, so that's your obstruction of uh, Congress. And is is uh, <clears throat> that an impeachable offense? Um, that one is um, a more iffy question in terms of what the framers intended an impeachable offense to be. I'm not so sure... I, uh, 
I'm not going to come out and say, yes, I think that's an impeachable offense as the framers understood it. I don't nec know necessarily that it is. Um, so, you know, I'm not persuaded on that as a matter of constitutional history. But again, when it comes down to it, like I've told you, doesn't matter. The theoretical is nice to have that conversation, but it doesn't matter. All it takes is enough votes. And he's going to be impeached probably on both counts. Um, but at the minimum, I don't like it. I don't know that it's an impeachable offense, but I don't like it. And I'm opposed to it. And I don't think the president, any president, should just say, no, I'm not giving you anything. All right. Um, that leads to tyranny. Okay. Maybe not in this particular case, but I don't want some, like, again, take Trump out of it. I don't want any president behaving in a manner where he says, no, the people are not entitled to know. Because whether you like Congress or not, or you hate Congress or not, in our system, the House of Representatives is the most direct representatives of the people. The president is not. The Senate is not. It's the House of Representatives who are our most direct representatives. They speak more than any other part of the federal government. They represent us. And when you tell the House of Representatives, I ain't giving you squat, what you're saying is, the American people have no right to know. I'm not telling the American people jack. Well, I don't like that. I don't like a president doing that for anything. And now Trump has just set the first precedent for making that kind of blanket refusal. That's whether you, again, whether you like it or not, whether you agree with this impeachment or not, Trump doing that is basically giving a finger to the American people saying you have no right to know. Now, people on our side are perfectly happy with that. Yeah, we, we have no right to know. The I don't want to know. This is all a sham impeachment. Well, fine. But what you're doing is, if you step back, you just step back from this issue, take Trump out of it, what you're saying is, it's okay for the president to give the middle finger to the American people and say, I'm not telling you anything. Well, I'm sorry, you lose me there. I, I don't support that. Now, I'm not saying you should be impeached and removed from office for that, but n neither do I think it's... Um, Okay, I don't think it's right for us to defend that. And here's a, par a problem with this whole impeachment thing from our perspective. <clears throat> and again, I don't think Trump at this point in time should be, as just a matter of what it would do to the country, should be removed from office because the people aren't there. And I don't think it's serious enough to remove him from office, even, if, even though I at least think the first one is an impeachable offense. I don't think it's serious enough an offense to remove him from office without the, the clear majority of the American people or a significant majority of the American people backing it. It would rip the country apart. It's we're already divided enough. I don't think it's serious enough to do it without the backing of the American people. But here's what I don't like about the way our side has handled it. You know, I was old enough that I followed the Clinton impeachment. Now, the Democrats, almost in lockstep, not as much as the Republicans. There were defections during the Clinton impeachment. But they largely defended Clinton. But they didn't defend him on the substance of what he did. What they said is, it was bad. He shouldn't have done it. Um, even, you know, the, the perjury and all that. All of it was bad, but it was all about a personal matter. And we don't think it rises to the level of impeachment. They all denounced Clinton for what he did, and they were ready to censure him. There was a big debate over, well, whether we should just forget the impeachment, let's just censure him. 
If they had done censure instead of impeachment, you probably would have had uh, unanimity in the Congress. Probably all Democrats and all Republicans would have signed on, would have voted to censure the president. The entire Congress would have said, we rebuke you, President Clinton. Uh, what you did was terrible. And we are taking this this step to publicly, basically just shame you um, and censure you. All right. Democrats were ready to do that. Democrats did not defend him for what he did. They just said, we don't think he should be removed from office for doing it. That's not at all what the Republicans are doing now. And I think it's terrible because contrary to what Trump tweets 15 times a day, his call was not perfect. His conduct was not perfect. Okay. His conduct at best was inappropriate and uh, was, you know, an abuse of his power to some degree. And it was not good, all right? You, you, you can think it was not an, an impeachable offense. But none of us should, should defend him in saying that it was perfectly fine what he did. It wasn't, okay? Fox News, talk radio, they will tell you that he did absolutely nothing wrong. That this happens all the time. That's that's not that's that's a lie. That's partisan hackery. Oh, quid pro quos happen all the time in foreign policy. Yes, but not for personal benefit to the president. Now, if you don't believe that what he was doing was to benefit him personally, then fine, we'll, we'll disagree here. Um, if what he did was not done to benefit him personally, but was done to weed out corruption. Well, then I would agree with you. He didn't do anything wrong. But I don't believe that's what happened. I believe, I think it's obvious. It's clear from the evidence. Although, as I said, much of it is circumstantial because we haven't heard from the relevant witness, well, the most relevant witnesses with the most direct evidence possibly because Trump has obstructed Congress and, and blanketly said they can't testify. So we don't have that information. But what we do have, I think, paints a very clear, very strong case that demonstrates that Trump was not interested in weeding out corruption. That is the after the fact spin. He wanted Ukraine to say that Biden and his son were under criminal investigation. That's what he wanted to say, uh, wanted to happen. That is why he pressured them um, that's why he, just, first of all, as president of the United States saying that, Hey, Ukraine as president of the United States, Zelensky, I want you to announce an investigation into Joe Biden. Just him telling him that that's what he wanted to do is an abuse of his office because doing that was purely for personal gain. Because like I said, I don't believe for a second that this was about corruption. He doesn't mention any other kind of corruption anywhere else in any of this. He's not interested in any other Ukraine corruption, only the corruption that potentially involves Joe Biden and his son. That's it. He's not interested in anything else. There's plenty of corruption in Ukraine. There's plenty of corruption in a lot of countries that we give money to. I don't hear him talking about weeding out corruption any damn place else. And on his phone call and all the testimony... Trump doesn't say or request 
investigations into any other corruption other than that which involves Joe Biden. And not only that, but it's clear that he wasn't even really interested in an investigation itself. He wanted the announcement of an investigation, which means he just wanted the political ammunition. And as we know about because of testimony about what Giuliani was doing, and remember, Trump directed all the people in his administration that Giuliani was the point man on Ukraine. Do what Giuliani tells you to do. Well, Giuliani was saying um, Zelensky has to make an announcement, a public announcement that they were going to criminally investigate Joe Biden. There is testimony that Zelensky actually was prepared to do that. He had a statement prepared. He gave it to Giuliani to review. Giuliani said, no, this isn't good enough. You have to specifically say you're investigating Joe Biden. Look, the evidence, if you get beyond Fox News and talk radio, the evidence is quite clear. Trump was only interested in having Zelensky announce a criminal investigation of Biden because it would benefit him personally. And that's it. If you're honest, you would be, you would be admitting it. That's what the evidence shows. Now, Here's another thing. <clears throat> if everything was perfect, Trump didn't de- do anything wrong, as he claims, um, then why won't he let his top people testify? I mean, if he told them, I don't want any, it's no quid pro quo. First of all, he always says, oh, no quid pro quo. I didn't want anything from Ukraine because that's what he told uh, Sondland, Right. I don't want any, because Sondland asked him point blank after he was frustrated with all the back and forths, he goes to Trump. What exactly do you want from Ukraine? I don't want anything. I don't, no quid pro quo. I just want them to do the right thing. He only said that after the whistleblower complaint came out. So that's, that's a self-serving statement. In the court of law, that would be laughed at. It's a self-serving statement made only after you were caught. And then we all, he always points to the fact, well... Ukraine got their money anyway. Again, Ukraine only got their money after he was caught. So self-serving. I mean, th- th- those things are unpersuasive. Look, John Bolton more than likely was privy to conversations directly with the president about this. Certainly Mike Pompeo was. Mick Mulvaney probably was. There are probably others who have very direct knowledge about exactly what Trump said, exactly what he directed, and exactly why. Trump has refused to allow those people to testify. If Trump's call was perfect, if his intentions were pure, he was only interested in rooting out corruption, and he made that clear to all of those people, he could have ended this two months ago by allowing those people to testify. If they came up to Capitol Hill and said, yeah, I talked to Trump about this. You know, if they say Mike Pompeo comes up and John Bolton, these, these people we haven't heard from and say, yeah, I talked to Trump about it. Trump was really adamant that uh, that Ukraine takes steps to root out corruption before we give them any of this money. Um, he, he's sick of the corruption. He is sick of our taxpayer dollars going to foreign governments that are just rife with corruption. And he wanted assurances from the president of Ukraine that he was going to root out corruption and he wa- and Trump wanted assurances before he released that money. If that's what happened, and if Pompeo came and said that, if Bolton came and said that, 
this this whole thing would be over. Trump would not be getting impeached today if that's what happened. And if those people had that kind of information, if that's what happened, we would have heard from those people. You know damn well if those were the conversations that happened and if that is the testimony that those people would give if they were allowed to testify, Trump would have ordered them to testify because he'd be done with this impeachment two months ago. It would be over. They would have no leg to stand on. There'd be no impeachment. But Trump ordered them not to testify. Now, any reasonable person would conclude that that's probably because they didn't have anything helpful to say in Trump's defense. All right? Um, let's, so let's be honest about it. So you, you couple that. And let me tell you something. When you sit on a jury, the judge instructs you that you are not required to put aside your common sense when you are deliberating on a case. You need to listen to the evidence, consider the evidence, and then you can apply your own personal life experiences and common sense to what you have heard when reaching your conclusion. You're not required to sit there and say, well, we didn't hear from Mike Pompeo and John Bolton, but since they didn't testify, I'm not even allowed to consider them at all. No, you're perfectly allowed to sit there and go, you know what, uh, this is super fishy. Why have we not heard from the Secretary of State? Why have we not heard from his national security advisor? Presumably, these people would have been in on this conversation, all of these conversations. Why haven't we heard from them? Uh, you are allowed to say, look, my common sense uh, tells me something's fishy going on here. So that's perfectly, um, perfectly reasonable to uh, consider that. Okay, what else? Um, so yeah, um, it, look, do you really think that Trump gives a wit about corruption in Ukraine. Come on. He doesn't care. And it's obvious that he didn't care. He only wanted an announcement and he didn't ask for any other uh, anti-corruption investigations. It only had to do with Biden. He wanted, because he thought he was going to run against Biden. Biden was 30 points up over all the competitors in the Democrat party uh, in the nom in the Democrat primary contest. He was beating them all by like 20, 30 points at the time of this whole uh, Trump-Zelensky call. And he's still uh, leading the pack and is still probably the most likely to be the nominee, but we'll see. And so Trump wanted to run against Biden and he wanted to be able to say, hey, Biden is under criminal investigation by another country. You're going to elect this guy? He's under criminal investigation. It worked for him the first time when he ran against Hillary. You know, in her 33 emails, oh, she should be indicted. That's where Lock Her Up got started. It was a main feature of his campaign. It was effective the first time. It was going to be effective again if he can run against somebody who's under criminal investigation. That's what he wanted. Okay, can we all stop kidding ourselves? Come on. That's what happened. Let's not allow ourselves to be fools. And again, that doesn't mean you have to support his impeachment and removal from office. But we can at least be honest about what happened. And this is what bothers me. We all know that that's what happened. Now, if you just listen to Fox News and talk radio, you might not be aware of any of this stuff, okay? You've just heard the ridiculous spin. Perfect call, nothing wrong. Everybody does this. No, everybody doesn't do it. 
There are quid pro quos all the time in foreign policy. It's perfectly fine to say, hey, I'm not giving you this money um, unless you allow us to, uh, you know, put a base on your country. I don't know. Uh, unless you approve this trade deal with us so that we can start exporting our cars to your country. I mean, things like that. Those are perfectly proper quid pro quos. Look, if we're going to give you this money, Ukraine, then you got to loosen trade with us so our manufacturers can sell in your country without restriction. You know, that's, that's the deal I want. That's the quid pro quo. That's a perfectly fine quid pro quo. And I'm so sick of this quid pro quo. That's a perfectly fine request. That's a perfectly fine condition to put on the money. Something like that. If it's authorized by statute. Okay. That's perfectly fine. What is not fine is for the president of the United States to use his, 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 his office in, to act in his official capacity as president, president of the United States and certainly dangling $400 million of money that has been appropriated by Congress and holding that over a pres, the president of Ukraine's head to say, hey, I'll give you this money or hey, I'll give you a White House visit, but you've got to announce that you're investigating Joe Biden so I can use it against my against him in the 2020 campaign. If you do that, then I'll give you this money. That is not appropriate. Now, if Trump really was honestly interested in Ukraine taking steps to weed out corruption, that would be fine too. You know, if he really just, he, he, he just was like, look, I'm not giving money to a, a corrupt country. If they're going to start reforming themselves and start investigating this corruption, then I'll give him the money. But our hard-earned taxpayer money is not going to a corrupt government. If that was his quid pro quo, if that was his request, if that was really what it was about, then that would be perfectly fine too. But I don't believe for a second that's what it's about. I don't think there's any evidence to support that that's what it's about. I think all of the evidence that we've seen cuts the other way. Okay, all the evidence and common sense tells me Trump wanted the investigation just, just to be announced so that it would help him in the 2020 campaign. Come on. That's what happened. You know it. I know it. The question is whether it's impeachable. Now, the problem I have with our side is that our side doesn't even criticize him at all. They repeat the bullcrap line that it was perfect. He didn't do anything wrong. Okay? I'm not going to be made a fool like that. And I don't think it's, I don't think it's good. I think it would have been much more healthy if the Republican Party said, hey, uh, what Trump did was inappropriate, but he shouldn't be impeached and removed from this uh, for this. Yes, it was bad, but come on, it doesn't rise to the level of impeaching him and removing him from office. Okay, not everything that's bad justifies removing a president from office. I think that is a much more honest and a much better argument. I think it's much better for the credibility of us as as Republican Party. I think it's much better just in terms of truth and honesty. I, I'm tired of the lies and the games on both sides. Okay, I'm sick of it. And I'm sick and tired of playing stupid and making arguments that I know are bullshit just because it's our side against their side. Here's the truth. He did it. And it was bad. Okay, we should all agree on it because that's what the evidence shows. The argument we, we should be having which would be a very healthy argument for the Republic to be having is, okay, he did it. Is that an impeachable offense? And should we remove him from office for that? That is a much healthier, because 
even okay see even if you're a person who thinks he should be impeached and removed from office well even if he's not ultimately you lose the battle and he's he's not he remains in office at least we all as a country recognize that what he did was bad and you know what maybe he won't do it again and maybe future presidents won't try something like this you know, maybe you got some real dirtbag future president who wants to, you know, strong arm other countries and hang, you know, hang our 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 federal assistance, our our foreign aid assistance over their head in order to get these other countries to do their personal political bidding. Say someone, some future president is inclined to do that. Well, they might look back and go, you know, remember what happened to Trump way back when? He wasn't removed from office, but he, you know. He was almost impeached for that. You know, there was an impeachment inquiry over that. You know, and his whole party rebuked him. I don't want to go down that road. I'm not doing that. It has, an, it has a deterrent effect. All right? And it's also, it's just about truth and honesty, which I believe we need in our politics and which we don't have, like, anywhere. Anywhere we look, there's no truth and honesty anywhere. It's just lies everywhere on both sides. But we're supposed to be happy with our lies because... At least it's to defeat the left. And the left feels the same way about us. They'll lie all day long, but as long as it's defeating us, then the lies are justified. I don't think we need to lie to defeat the left. Okay? We do not have to sanction inappropriate behavior by our presidents in order to defend them even. I mean, like I said, you can defend him against impeachment while also admitting that what he did was wrong and sending a message to future presidents, hey, don't do this. And even to this president, because he may be in office for another five years and he should get the message. Yeah, this uh, is not good. And the Congress will be on your ass if you try something like this again. So don't do it. I think that would have been a far healthier outcome for the country. I think the outcome that we're likely to get is not a, a healthy outcome. What we're likely to get is a partisan impeachment and a partisan trial and acquittal in the Senate. And what we will have is the Democrats saying what he did was impeachable and he committed high crimes and misdemeanors and he, he committed statutory crimes too. And what you have the Republicans saying is, he didn't do anything wrong. This was all a hoax. It was a perfect phone call. This, everybody does this. This is just normal. I don't think that's a healthy outcome for this republic at all. In fact, it's a very unhealthy outcome. A healthy outcome would have been this. Republican Party saying, Trump, what you did was bad. You shouldn't have done it. I'm not going to defend you for it. We're not going to defend you for it. You shouldn't have done it. But we don't think it's impeachable. We, we think it's bad, but we don't think it rises to, to the level of a high crime and misdemeanor. We're not going to remove you from office for it, but it was bad. Okay? That's what should have happened. Because then what would happen is Trump remains in office. But the whole country had a serious, honest conversation about what he did. And we all kind of agreed that what he did was bad. And hopefully in the future, presidents won't do this again. Because here's the deal. This country's been around for like two and a half centuries. We haven't removed anyone. And you know what? I don't think that's a good thing. There are several presidents that should have been impeached and removed from office. Okay? I think impeaching presidents and removing them from office when they do serious wrongs when in office is healthy. I think it's a good thing. I think every time a president gets away with doing something grossly inappropriate or wrong or criminal, every time they get away with that, I think that damages the country. 
and further empowers the presidency. You know, our framers feared a king, feared a dictator. And I, I got to tell you, people, we more and more, as, as Congress has ceded their authority to the executive branch and to the courts, but to the executive branch, we have further empowered the president in our system. And I'm not talking about Trump here. I'm just talking our system and our republic. The president has way too much power. The president has far more power than the Constitution originally intended him to have because Congress has ceded so much of it. Congress now just writes these very vague statutes and says, you know what, uh, executive branch president, here's what, here's a general framework. Why don't you just go ahead and pass a million regulations and, you know, do whatever you want with it. We have a rogue executive branch as much as we have rogue courts because we have too much empowered the executive branch. And impeachment, certainly impeachment, impeachment and removal is a very effective uh, deterrent to bad behavior by presidents. But if you don't use them, you know, Trump will only be the third president ever impeached. And he's not going to be removed as it stands right now. He's not going to be removed. We still haven't removed a single president in our entire history of, as a republic. Not one. I don't think that's good. And the reason I mean, we have had lots of presidents who have abused their offices. Barack Obama abused his powers routinely. He frequently and repeatedly and brazenly abused his authority as president, overstepped his role, usurped the authority of the other branches, especially Congress. There wasn't even any pushback, let alone impeachment and removal. But presidents know that there is virtually no chance that they're going to be removed for anything they do because we've been around for two and a half centuries and not one president has been removed from office. So no president thinks that anything's going to happen to them. They're not going to be removed. Yeah, this might be bad, but what's the worst they're going to do to me? At the very, very theoretical worst, they're going to impeach me, but that's it. And even the chances of that are slim to none. We've Trump will only be the third. So we average like one a century. I know, I know, obviously, well, actually, that was in the last century, too. So, one a century. That's it. I don't think that's good. Because so many presidents have done so many bad things that were worthy of impeachment and removal. I think we could have a, a much more constrained, much more responsible and responsive president. A president who actually stays within the confines of Article Two and the, and, and the Constitution. If we had used the power to impeach and remove presidents more frequently, I think we'd be a healthier republic if we did. So I'm not opposed. Yeah, you know, I'm opposed to us using it so infrequently. I think we should have done it much more often. Now, I'm not saying Trump should be. As it stands now, he shouldn't be because of the chaos, like I said, the damage that it would do to the country. But I do think what he did is an impeachable offense. I don't think he should be removed because... You know, not enough of the country thinks he should be removed. And for that reason alone, it would tear the country apart. And what he did, while I believe it is impeachable, it is not so serious that we, we need to remove him no matter what the American people think. No. Now, you know, if he murdered somebody and, and, and 
you know, uh, his cult following still doesn't abandon him and, and, and it's still a 50-50 proposition on impeachment even though he murdered somebody, well, then you know what? I don't care that public opinion is evenly split. The guy should be removed from office. But that's not what happened here. What he did was bad. In my opinion, it was an abuse of power, the kind of abuse of power contemplated by the framers uh, to justify impeachment. In my opinion, I don't think there's any question of, of that. The framers feared a president. One of the things that they feared that a president would do is use the power of his office unjustly to personally enrich himself, to personally benefit himself in some way, or and to, to, to corrupt our political process, which is what Trump is, is doing. Uh, it's, it would benefit him politically, what he was requesting, because it was not, it was not a request done in his, for the benefit of the American people. It was not something that would benefit the country. It would benefit him personally. It would give him an edge in the campaign. That's a personal benefit. In my opinion, that's all he was after. Now, you can disagree if you don't agree with that, but come on. You know, you know that's what he did. So he was after a personal benefit. Um, just because it doesn't enrich him, like, monetarily, financially, that doesn't matter. And it corrupts our system because it is injecting foreign interference into our election. I know we scoff at that now because that's what the Democrats say all the time. So we're supposed to say, oh, that's BS. No, it really is. Look, if Ukraine was going to in announce a criminal investigation of the Bidens on their own, well, then, you know, if they were doing it because... That's what they were, they found evidence of corruption and they were investigating. Fine, that's what they're doing. But if they're doing it at the behest of one of the candidates for the sole purpose of influence the out, influencing the outcome of the election, come on, that's, that's, that's corrupting our process. That would be Trump using the power of his office to gain an advantage in the election that only the president could, could do. Right? No one else can, can exercise the powers of the president but Trump. He's the president. He's the only one who could do it. So, so using the powers of the president to give yourself an advantage in the election that's not available to any other candidate for president, yeah, come on. That's using the power of your office to sway an election unjustly. That's what it is. That's what it was. And it's bad. We'd been far better off as a country if we all admitted it, including people in the Republican Party. And let me tell you, in the future, I don't think this is going to look good on either side. Democrats certainly conducted themselves very poorly the way they, the way they went after this. What they did, um, in, especially early in this process with Schiff's committee and everything, uh, was abysmal. That shouldn't have happened. So th there should be shame upon them in history, but so too the way the Republicans acted. The way the Republicans defended bad behavior and just told bold-faced lies to the American people about what I... To say nothing happened and that it was all a hoax. You know, and that's the thing too. If you listen to these hearings, the Republicans largely do not even talk about the facts. They do not defend Trump on the facts. Everything has been processed from the beginning. Oh, the Democrats ran an unfair process. Oh, they've just been out to get him from the beginning. Those, both of those things are true. Neither of those things are a defense to what he did. They don't even get near a defense of what he did. They don't even discuss what he did, 
except to just give it short shrift and say, oh, what he did was fine. That's it. Just a, a general kind of, oh, what he did was fine. Everybody does it. There's nothing here without actually talking specifically about what happened. Look, I'm just disgusted by the whole thing, which is why I didn't talk about it much. And, um, damn it, I meant this to be a short podcast, and here I am, it's two hours, but I felt it important to get this out just so I could be done with this impeachment thing. Is there anything else I need to say about impeachment? And here's the thing. I'm going to, yeah, here, here's one more thing. About all this impeachment, I really don't care. I don't. I'm going to be honest with you. I don't care if he's uh, impeached or not impeached because if he's impeached, I don't think it's an unfair impeachment. I think he did what he's accused of and what I and what he's accused of, in my opinion, is an impeachable offense. If he's impeached for it, so be it. I don't care. Now, if he's removed from office without the public, um, overwhelming, overwhelmingly at least above 60%, which in today's politics would be overwhelming, if he's removed without the public supporting it overwhelmingly, um, that would be very bad for the country. And for that reason, as it stands now, I'm opposed. If more information comes out that sways the public opinion and a clear majority of the people, overwhelming majority of the people want him removed and he's removed, I don't care. If he's not removed, I don't care about that either. And you know why? Because I don't believe our republic lives or dies by any one person. I think we put far too much stock and importance in the president of the United States. We act like the president is the country. The president is our leader. What can we do without him? The president isn't even our leader. They're the, the president. Look, I hate when people say he's your president. I hated when Obama was president and people said that. I hate it when Trump is president and people say that. He's not my president. He's president of my country. To say my president, it's like my king. He's my king. I salute you, my liege. And I, no, I don't have a king. I don't have a president. The country has a president. You know, I don't say it's my Congress. Oh, that's, it's my Supreme Court. No, the president is just one of three co-equal branches of government, at least theoretically. We don't have three co-equal branches of government. We live in many respects in a judicial tyranny, um, a judicial supremacy. The, the, the judicial branch is clearly supreme, uh, superior to the other two branches. But that's another conversation for another day. But theoretically, we're supposed to have three co-equal branches of government, right? The president is just one branch of government. That's it. I don't go around saying, oh, my Congress. No. He has the powers to execute the duties of his office. That's it. Members of Congress have the, the, the powers to execute the duties of their office and same with the courts. That's it. And if Trump is impeached and removed from office, uh, is it going to matter? Uh, no, I don't think it's going to matter a hill of beans. Because it's not like we're not going to be with, we're going to be without a president. Mike Pence will be president. Uh, it's not going to change our life at all. Life's going to go on. We, we, don't, we don't need Donald Trump to be the president for life to go on. It doesn't freaking matter. And guess what? If it did matter that much, I mean, if, if, if it's the most important thing in the world, like, oh my God, what if Trump's removed from office? If that were the case, well, then what the hell are we going to do in, in, in a year or in five years when he leaves office? Even if we elect him again, he's not going to be president forever. He's going to have to leave office. What are we going to do? What are we going to do without Trump? 
You know what we're going to do? We're going to have another president and we're going to go on. And if Trump is impeached and removed from office, guess what? We're going to have another president and we're going to go on. That's it. The world's not going to come to an end. Not because of that. I mean, our country is still headed to the toilet and we might collapse at some point and we're going to have some serious problems, but it doesn't have anything to do with Trump being removed from office. Now, if he's removed from office without the public overwhelmingly in favor of him being removed from office, well, then we might have some problems. We might have violence. We might, you know, we could have problems. Okay. I could see, I could foresee potential civil unrest limited. I don't think there's going to be a civil war or anything, but I could see very angry people taken to the streets in some places and there could be clashes and there could be some violence and stuff. But you know what? We see that now anyway. We might see a little bit more of it, but that's it. The country's not going to collapse because Trump is removed from office, even without a clear majority of the American people on board. No, what's going to happen is Trump is removed from office and immediately Mike Pence will take the oath and become president of the United States. That's it. That's what will happen. And guess what? The election would not have been undone. I I hate all these bullcrap arguments. Um, The election would not have been undone. I saw Kevin McCarthy. He's the... um, minority leader in the House of Representatives, he put out a tweet, I think, or some statement that said something along the lines of, um, if Trump is removed from office, that would be undoing the will of the American people. Well, you know, I I don't buy any of that. It's not undoing the will of the American people. The American people cast their votes for Trump. They elected Trump back in 2016 under a certain set of facts. And we made an agreement with him that he was going to be president and uh, work within the Constitution. That's, that's what we elected him for. Well, we're three years later. Uh, the situation is different now. If he is removed from office, it's because the American people said, you know what? You kind of broke that bargain you had with us. You didn't follow the Constitution. You abused the power of your office. And now we've made a different decision under the Constitution. And you're out of here. If, if that's what they do, that's not undoing an election. If that is the, if that, and that's not all he said. He said something. I can't remember what else he said, but it was clearly like the impeachment would be an unjust and it, it, it is, um, you know, it violates democracy and all this stuff. Well, that's bullcrap. If that's true, then any impeachment is unjust and violates democracy and overturns the will of the people. But that's not true. Impeachment and removal is part of our system. It's not, it doesn't undo an election. Hillary Clinton isn't going to become president. It's just the operation of our law. It's just the operation of our constitution. This is the deal. Presidents, we elect them. They operate under the constitution. And if they do stuff that's bad, um, we can remove them under the constitution. It's part of the process. Hillary Clinton, the, the election's not undone. Hillary Clinton doesn't become president. Mike Pence, who we also voted for, becomes president. And guess what? We voted for him for exactly that reason. If Trump is removed and Pence becomes president, well, that's why we voted for Pence, for exactly that reason. Vice presidents really don't do anything else but but that. Just sit there in the wings, uh, ready to become president if the president dies or is removed or something. That's it. That's their whole job, except to like be the president of the Senate and cast tie-breaking votes. Other than that, they don't do anything but attend funerals and and whatnot. That's it. They don't do anything. This is why we elect them. So if Trump is removed from office and Trump and and Pence becomes president, well, then he's doing what we elected him to do. The elect, that's part of 
presidential elections. That's part of the deal. Elections aren't being undone, and the country will move on. The country isn't going to grind to a stop, and the world isn't going to end because because tr Trump is not our savior. No president is our savior. So I don't get exercised about this. It's not a big deal. It's not the end of the world. He's probably not. I mean, he's probably going to be impeached. He's probably not going to be removed. But even if he is, so what? We'll move on. Because guess what? The future of the republic does not rise or fall on the basis of what happens to Donald Trump in the impeachment hearing. We are either going to survive as a country or not based upon what we do as a country through our elected leaders. Let me tell you something. Um, right now, Trump ain't saving us from squat. Okay? In fact, he's made the situation worse. He's added to our debt and he's made illegal immigration worse. Those are the two things that are going to destroy this country. Both of those things Trump has made worse. If you want to be honest about it, who knows? Maybe Pence will do a better job if he gets removed. I'm not saying I'm in favor of, of removing Trump from office. I'm just, I'm just telling you. It's not the end of the world. Focus on the issues. Hold your, make the best choices you can in these elections every election and then when you would get your people elected hold their feet to the fire and hold them accountable try to influence them try to persuade them try to put pressure on them to do what they said they're going to do and that's it all right that's going to do it for me um i'm trying to, i don't want to talk about impeachment again so let me try to just go through my little rolodex in my head here is there anything else i want to talk about impeachment I don't think so. I, I think I have hit the uh, big things that I know as soon as I stop recording, I'm going to think of something else I wanted to say. Um, all right. So uh, I guess I'll see you on, I'll talk to you on the other side of impeachment. Until then, follow me on Facebook. Follow me on Twitter. Um, look, you need to be following me on both if I do say so myself. You also need to follow, you know, bookmark me over there at markpantano.com. Bookmark that website. You can also subscribe to it for free. Tell people about the podcast. Tell people who are serious about the issues, actually want to have serious conversations and don't just want to do the stupid cheerleading, who are actually serious about the future of the country. Tell them to listen to the podcast and maybe we can wake some of these pod people up, right? All right. So that's it. See you on the other side of impeachment and uh, we'll take it from there. Thanks for listening. And remember, Continue to fight the left like your freedom depends on it. Because it does.